You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Let's do this at this time. Let's go into the Word of God together. And I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 3. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Acts 3. And today, I want to preach on uh, this subject as we are in the year of prayer. We are thematically, the month of April is designated to focus on revival. Revival actually in the church of the Lord Jesus, right here at Gospel Light. So in Acts 3, again, is where we'll spend some time this morning. Not very far at all from, from uh, where Pastor has had us in the text, in Acts 2. And so we're going to just be right next door to that. And strategically, that's on purpose so that we can stay close to what it is that we've been learning and apply that in application today in the area of revival. So let's go ahead and let's call on the Lord right now. Will you pray with me? And let's ask the Lord's help as we get into the Word together. Lord, it's so good to be saved by Jesus. It's the heart cry of this church family that anyone who is here today that could even be lost without Jesus Christ, that today you would show them your great and glorious love and salvation by dying on the cross for us and rising from the dead. And I pray, Father, now for the help of your Spirit, your Holy Spirit to have our hearts, and and Lord, to be Lord of this service, Lord of all that we do and say in this place. This is your service, and I know, God, that when your word goes forth, you are at work, and you're at work in all of our hearts. So, Father, in this area of revival, would you please grant that in our hearts that we would be a people who come after you and desire you and delight in you in such a way that you revive. We pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, y'all, the year was 2007. And I think about revival. I think about a time in ministry, in life, where Jillian and I were serving in a church family, where I was pastoring, and, and we did not know, unbeknownst to us, what God had planned. And it was something that we had never experienced to this point in our life and ministry together about 15 years ago. And so when when we were there, all of a sudden, without any kind of schedule, without any kind of knowing how this was going to happen, the Lord Jesus Christ just showed up in a great time of revival for this church and its ministry like we couldn't even describe. And what happened is that in this period of about one year, the church ended up seeing a number of people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. There were about 17 weeks consecutive, straight weeks, where people were being baptized. And in that came a lot of growth in the church, where the church would uh, start off with a little over 100 people and would peak close to 500 people. And in that time of all that happened in one year, And within that time, people were canceling vacations because they literally said, we don't want to miss maybe what God will do the next Sunday. And there was people canceling trips and and trying to be there when God was doing these great and marvelous things that Jesus Christ was doing. And so with all that being said, the growth of the church, we had to knock out a wall of the sanctuary, expand another 125 seats. and, And before we knew it, the finances of the church were going, were skyrocketing, which allowed our church to have more funds, to, to be able to go ahead and do more ministry for the people God was bringing to us. And with that, we were able to start drug recovery ministries for our community, food distribution for our county, and even we had an abused women and children shelter facility we were able to buy and purchase and start a ministry within our town and county for that population as well. It's amazing. When we look back and we, and we were a part of it, while we, we were just glad to even be a fly on the wall, we were just giving God the glory and still give God the glory because he's the only one who can do something like that. All the increase is from him. And so we praise God. It's a time of which when we look back and I think about the church, I can remember the people of God were so excited corporately and individually about the gospel of Jesus that it was not uncommon for the membership to be in town, at work, and wherever they were going, telling people about Christ. And so it obviously led to multiplication in the church for the glory of God. That's the power of the gospel. 
That's the power of why we tell about Jesus, right? And why we constantly want people to know about who he is. When God brings revival to the church, it's always a powerful move that God does. And it happens on God's term and God's way. We can't manufacture, we can't predict it. It's when he's going to do it. It's going to be in his power and his way. J.J. Packer made this statement. He said, revival is the visitation of God, which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. When the Lord shows up in that kind of way, that's something that you and I can anticipate and expect God visiting with his people, just like as he sent Christ to come near us. Revival in a church is not about looking for an experience that we're just going to talk about over coffee. Revival instead is, 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 is in the church in the same way that we are looking for empowerment from God in such a way that we're not just talking about it, we're living it out, not just talking it out. And we're living it out in the powerful resurrected life of Jesus. Because we live in such a messed up world, the world around us needs to see the authentic, genuine Christian people living out their faith in Christ. Amen? That's what we're, that's what we're all about when it comes down to a time of revival. This is exactly what the church in Acts did as their Acts 2.42 key ingredient. Pastor has preached through this. He's explained verse 42 of chapter 2 and broken it down. One thing I want us to go back and revisit is pay attention to that beginning of that word as it describes the DNA and the caliber of what the early church was. They devoted themselves to, and it begins to describe what those things are. The word devoted is a word that just carries the understanding of in, the, in the Greek culture, the Greek text back then. It just means constantly being determined. Not coming up with an idea one day where you say, I want to get close to God today. It's not a hit and miss. It's a every day. It's a I'm determined. In fact, the word actually connects to another word that means something that you adhere to something else. In other words, it implies something that is glued together. You could easily say in some sense of the word that these people in Acts 2 that we've been studying out for the last several weeks, that these people were attached to the words of Jesus. They didn't look at themselves as different from Jesus. They said, no, Jesus is our everything, and we want to be just like him in every way we can. And they took that to heart. In fact, it was our Lord Jesus that said in John 15, 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Just like looking at a tree and seeing the branch sprouting off the actual trunk of the tree and going that, well, there's no fruit on that tree unless it's attached to the tree. The tree provides the, so the life and the source of what it's going to be. Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we abide in him, that's what the disciples were doing so well. They attached themselves in that sense, and he was attached to them. Revival to the early church was not just some afterthought, like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Revival was their every thought. They did not know what it was like to live in a way that was less than, being in a constant, walking, revived relationship with Jesus and this was because they learned that the more you abide, the more you abound. They learned that the more they attached themselves to the Word of God, the more God's Word was producing an abounding work through their life for God. That's the key. The key is that give me somebody who will be willing to put the newspaper aside and the social media aside and just spend some time saturating himself or herself in the Word of God, and that will be somebody who starts to have a fire burning within their bones because the Word causes us to suddenly just, it's God's life speaking into us, amen? It's God pouring into us, and that's what the disciples had. They had this. And that's why we find when you see them devoting themselves so much in verse 42 that we see in verse 43 it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed through 
the apostles. So what's happened is that they are so attached to Jesus and his words and the doctrine of the apostles that signs and wonders are the production from that attachment. They are producing the life of Christ because Christ is tapped into them. See, what we've got to understand is that the signs and wonders are what Acts chapter 3 does explain to us. And my hope and desire with you this month as we start in revival and Pastor Capace will be preaching the remaining of the messages that today we just kind of lay a foundation in terms of saying that a revival in this church in my life really is a revival that's going to begin in me. And I can think of no other example than right in the backyard of Acts 2 is chapter 3. And this gives us the explanation of what the early disciples were doing after they had been revived in the way that they had. So what we're going to do right now is that as you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, the heart's desire is that you and I would just look in chapter 3 and we would want to imitate and duplicate the life of these people in chapter 3, which, by the way, their names are Peter and John. So Peter and John represent a couple of disciples of Jesus, apostles sent out, and they are going to show us what the life of a born-again believer that's loving Christ looks like in the terms of a revived relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, in Hebrews 11, the Bible says we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses when we run this Christian race. I can't help but think about that when you read this text. It's like Peter and John are running the race of faith from what they learned from Christ and what they learned from all the other brothers and sisters in Christ. And here you and I are. A little dot on the map of eternity, and we are in that race with them. They're counting on us. Don't you want to run well? I do. And it's a part of being revived. It's a part of saying, God, I want to stay in a walking, revived relationship with you. But it's impossible without Christ making that happen. So we lean to the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to see here today is there are actually three patterns of revival that stand out in this passage that the early disciples left for you and I to follow. Today, let's keep it simple. Let's just stay right in the Word, look right into the Scripture, and let's just say, okay, as I read this text, this is in the Bible, this is what they were doing, this was the characteristic of their life. So as a follower of Jesus, I want to follow in the same pattern because that's what the New Testament church looks like. Therefore, we don't want to look any different and come up with a different understanding of what it should look like. So let's imitate that. Beginning right there in verse 1 of chapter 3, you'll notice what stands out. So what it is, is he says these words here. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Let's stop right there in verse 1. And you'll notice that the Bible says, Peter and John are going up to a temple, the temple of Jerusalem, and they're going to pray. And the Bible says specifically it's at 3 p.m., not just going to pray at any general time, but 3 p.m. There is, an, there is no mistake here that they've got a regularity in their prayer life if it's bringing out the time that they're praying. Unlike the time where there was a mistake in my life when it came to a time of prayer. I was at a conference with a brother in Christ, a pastor friend that was on our staff. We were at the Southern Baptist Convention Conference years ago. And so I had Jillian and the kids come with me to the conference. We were there for a few days, and he could only come up one of the nights. And so he came up, and he said, hey, do you mind if I stay with you guys? It'll save me. I have a, I have a hotel bill. I'll just stay with y'all. I said, sure, absolutely. We had never spent, the, we, Brad had never spent the night with us before, and he, after this situation, he would never spend the night with us again. <laughs> so what happened is he came and stayed the night with us, and it was just he and I in the conference, and so we went to sleep that night, and Jillian and the kids slept in one bed, and I slept in the other with him. And so we went to sleep, and, and at some point, I don't know when it happened, but at some point I was awakened by the noise of snoring like I had never heard in my life. It, 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 I mean, I don't think a CPAP machine could touch it, right? So I didn't know what to do, and I said, I've got to get some sleep. Brad, stop. But he wouldn't stop. So all of a sudden I said, I've got to get away. So I got my pillow 
I got, there was no room in the bed with Jillian and the kids, so I had to get down on the floor. I got my pillow, and I clamped it over my ears, and I literally laid down there on all fours, elbow and knee, and I just went like this, and I went to sleep like this at, at some point. Well, you get up, and you got the big imprint on your forehead, right, from the carpet, and it was there, trust me, for about an hour. Well, what I can remember is I was getting ready, and Brad is getting up, and he gets ready, and he comes in there, and he starts talking. He's like, good morning. I say, good morning. And then all of a sudden, he says, hey, man, I just want, just want to tell you. Man, I, I, I love you, and I love our friendship, and I thank God for you. But he said, man, I'm really inspired by your prayer life. He's like, I got up at 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning to go to the restroom, and I walked by, and I saw you praying. And he's like, man, I'm not that committed. I'm not that devoted. And I sat there, and I thought, I could really milk this, right? I could run with this. But I said, Brad, I'm so sorry, man. I said, listen, honestly, I, I love you too, and I'm going to tell you something. I was escaping your snoring. I wasn't trying to pray. I should have been, but I wasn't. In this text, what we know is that there's no mistake that these guys have got a prayer life that is regular. It's consistent. And what we know in the Jewish culture is that they prayed three times a day at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. And Peter and John are here praying at 3 p.m. It's interesting because they're about to experience God and his power and his provision of a lame man. But if they didn't show up at 3, they would have missed it. Thank the Lord. They stayed consistent and regular in their prayer life. Colossians 4 and 2 tells us to, be, to, to continue earnestly in prayer. And it says to do so with thanksgiving. We don't want to take any time off. We don't want to say, oh, I don't feel like praying today. Or I don't really, I'm not in the mood for praying. Prayer is not based on the mood anyway. It's based on a relationship with God and he wants to talk with us. The Bible even says in Luke 18, 1, when Jesus told a parable, he said, I wish that men would always pray and not lose heart. One of the things that happens is that we may skip meal times to fast, but may we never skip prayer time to pray. Prayer time is a time where God is wanting to meet with us even more than we're wanting to meet with him. He wants us. Isn't it great to be wanted? Sometimes in life we don't feel wanted. We feel de dejected and rejected and discounted. But there's a, the God of heaven, he cares for us in this kind of way. Prayer slows us down. It's God's way of slowing us down so that we can be still, so that we can listen, and so that we can wait. I really want to emphasize this. Remember, to keep this in its best context, back up with me to chapter 1 and don't miss these verses. Because the fact that Peter and John are regularly, consistently praying is awesome. And we buy into that and we take it and we say we should too. But look at this undercurrent that's going on in their prayer life that we don't want to miss in our own. It's the key in verse 1 that we see when Jesus spoke to them in verse 1, or chapter 1, in verse 4, he says this. While Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about, and he said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. But he said, you got to go to Jerusalem, and you got to wait. And, and the Spirit of God's going to come, but you got to wait. And then he says in verse 8 that the Holy Spirit would be the power that would fill them in their life so that they could produce the life of Jesus, but not apart from the filling power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then in verse 13 we see the evidence of their waiting some more. Don't miss it. And he says this, when they arrived, in other words, they left, Jesus ascended into heaven, and now they go down here in verse 13, and they go on into Jerusalem. They're in our upper room, and they are praying and waiting. And what you find is it says when they got there, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We would find out later in the text, this is about 120 people that are gathered in one room, and they're praying, 
But what is so awesome about the text of this, when you look at chapter 1, and we go over to chapter 3, what we begin to conclude is that the life of an early disciple who was so revived, who had a pattern of prayer in their life, was not without understanding that waiting is a part of praying. But when you're somebody who doesn't like to wait and wants things done and feels like we're just wasting time sitting here talking, let's do something, let's make something, let's go somewhere, praying slows us down so that we can wait because that's what's happening. When we pray and we want to see God do something, it's not us doing it because we prayed. It's because God is working through us in our waiting to produce what's going to give him the most glory. That's the key. Today I want to tell you that when they they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, they were waiting in prayer. But then that resulted in them watching the Holy Spirit in power. Waiting for the Holy Spirit in prayer resulted in watching the Holy Spirit in power. Because in verse In in chapter 2, we see that 3,000 people get saved by Jesus as a response to the gospel. And then we go to chapter 4 after we finish the story of this lame man, and God's not done. Because in chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says this, But many of those who heard Peter's message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So what we have here in the Word of God is 12 disciples. Judas was replaced by Matthias, and now the 12 disciples have multiplied into 8 plus thousand people. Amen? Y'all, this is not just like on the page to just be there passively. This actually happened. This is the work of God, and God's still doing this today. The power is there. It's just the people that need to show up and be ready to see God work in this kind of way. What we understand in the text is that revival is not just something we're praying for. It's someone that we wait for. Because it's all about the presence of the Holy Spirit of God being in the midst of his people. It's that people hunger and thirst for righteousness that they may be filled. It's for people who say that, Lord, I want you more than I want anything else this world can give me. That's the key here, and that's what we find with the people who are waiting on God. God's presence is meant to engulf us, not to entertain us, not to make us feel good. His presence is meant to overwhelm us. His presence is to help us reduce ourselves to nothing so that he is captured as everything in our hearts and minds. And that's what these disciples had. And what we see is that in the pattern of prayer, they valued praying because they learned something that we do well to learn. And if I'm going to walk into revival with Christ, In my prayer life, if I pattern my prayer life after the early church, I can't pattern it without really finding value and being able to pray with a heart that is willing to wait. If you have some things that you're waiting on, that you're praying for, don't be discouraged because you look just like them. They waited, and when God said, I'm ready, he shows up. His will, his way, for his glory. Amen? And that's the way the church brought it. And that's the invitation that we can follow. Today, if anyone is struggling in the waiting, if anyone just needs that reminder, continue to pray. Continue to pray. And wait like they did in that pattern of prayer when God's going to show up and he'll show out. Because that's who he is. He's the way maker, right? Miracle worker, promise keeper. Our God That is who you are. Look in the text with me, not just a pattern of prayer, but there is a pattern that begins to evidence here with people. We are told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should. It's the first and greatest commandment. And next, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, loving God and loving people. It fits the text. They love the Lord. They're devoted to him. They're anchored to him. They're attached to him. They are praying consistently and waiting But there's a pattern in their life that involves people. I want you to see here how important this is when it gets to our individual daily lives. All of us are going somewhere all the time in most cases, some more than others. But there is always going to be something to do, especially in this American culture we live in. Busyness is there. 
agendas are there, and we find the same here in chapter 3 in this sense. What we notice here is about this man that's going to be at a temple, the temple of Jerusalem. The Bible says here that we understand this gate is brought into attention. So let me explain just a moment what that is. The Jerusalem temple was set up, and surrounding the temple, you had different gates of entry. There were nine gates to get into the temple of Jerusalem. And one of the gates is called the Eastern Gate. And that Eastern Gate is where this man is in our Bible story this morning that he is begging. He is a beggar. And this Eastern Gate is called the Beautiful Gate because it was made of Corinthian bronze. It looked just like pure gold. It was marvelous to look at, and everybody knew it. The beggars at that day would set themselves up in this specific gate because religious Jews who were following the law of Moses that had not believed Christ was Messiah, they were still trying to do their good works, and so they would follow the law, and they would come, and they would give alms, and they would bring money to the temple treasury. And so a beggar sitting there, they couldn't hardly pass him by because it was a part of their religious works that they were trying to continue to find value in and not the Lord Jesus Christ. That was common back in this time. And this man is here. And when he is here, there's something that's going to begin to develop from the text, and I want you to see what this pattern of people looks like. Because what we find here is right here in verse 2, if you'll go with me, look in verse 2 together, and look what happens next. It says, a man who was lame, means he could not walk, he was crippled, And not just from an accident during his lifetime, the Bible says he was lame from birth. Note that. He's never walked a day in his life. The only identity he knows is what this says right here. Being carried there to the temple every day. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful. So he could beg from those entering the temple. The understanding here that we get right away is that based on verse 2, one of the patterns that the early disciples had with people as they were living out the revival of chapter 2, Pentecost, and the filling of the Spirit of God, they had a pattern with prayer, but man, they had a pattern with people because when we learn what they did, what we learn is that we learn to see people every day, to see them daily. And here's the reason why I'm saying that. This man was brought to the temple, notice this, every day. Not occasionally once a week, every day, but in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is also verses of Scripture that tell us what God was doing in the church every day. This man is downright miserable every day of his life. The church is not miserable Every day of her life. And here's why. Back in verse 46, the Bible says in chapter 2, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. You go down to verse 47, the Bible says every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So in the life of the one who is the beggar, who is miserable, every day this is what he knows. But in the church every day, this is what she knows. She's on mission. She's committed to God in prayer. She's a part of the Lord's work. They don't know. The church in here, they don't know what it's like to be anything less than on mission with God. But the world we live in, we got folks like this every day. But the church should be like this every day. You see, The key that they had is they noticed what it was like to see people. They didn't pass them up. They listened to God. They followed what God was leading to do, and they saw people. They looked for people every day, much like they did here. That's why they were growing, and the church was multiplying disciples. My mother-in-law's name is Melanie. My father-in-law's name is Billy. Over 20 years ago, her mother was in Baptist Hospital and so sick, she was about to die. Incredible how God changed things around for her mom. They were waiting to make a decision. And Jillian, this is her grandmother, and she was precious. And she and I love and miss mom, who we called her mom. 
she had a heart condition situation that was requiring surgery, but if she had the surgery, she may not make it because of how high the chance was not to survive. But if she didn't have the surgery, she would pass away. She, she was at a, a crossroad. They go to the Baptist hospital. She's been on the ventilator for almost one month. It obviously doesn't look good. They have to have the surgery. While in surgery, she, the family is in the chapel, and they are calling on the Lord, and they are praying, and they are trusting in God for such a hard, hardship in their life, waiting to see what God is going to do, trusting in God to do something. Billy and Melanie leave the chapel and go for a walk. Well, they decide not to walk outside the chapel. They walk across the entire campus of Baptist Hospital, 10, 15 minutes away they find themselves on the opposite side of the campus. And if you've been to Baptist, you know it's a pretty good walk. While they're going down a long haul toward the other side of the campus, Melanie told me, my mother-in-law, who I call Mama, she said, we're going down the hall, and I am just talking to her husband, Billy, and saying, I wish there was something that God would just, if I could just somehow know, if we could just somehow know what is this going to be like? She's in surgery right now. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, there was a lady that walked on the other side of the hall. She was shuffling her feet. She said she was on the other side. They're on the other side, and they're going to walk right beside each other. The lady suddenly started going in their lane and got, this is just them on a long haul. She gets right there in front of Billy and Melanie, and it's obviously awkward, right? There's no one around. But she looks at them, who they've never met in their life, and she says these words. She said, I want to tell you that today your mother will live. They didn't know what to say. The lady said those words, and she kept walking. They've never seen her before, and they've never seen her since. It was a God moment. When they heard that, they headed back over to the chapel area. Doctor finished surgery. What do you think the result is? Of course, she made it through the surgery in no time. Mom would be perked up in the bed, off the ventilator, and God would give her five more years of precious life before he called her home to heaven. I can't wait to see her again one day, Jillian. The lady that talked to Billy and Melanie is a good example of what it was like for this right here. Because when we see people every day, we are going to see people in their misery. This world's messed up. We have the hope of the gospel. We've got the good news. The greatest sleeping giant is the church. That just wake up and realize all these places we're going, all the things we're doing, all the people we're passing, maybe, just maybe, there's someone God has gotten ready for us. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus said it like this. When he saw the multitudes, the Bible says Jesus said he was moved with compassion. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. Not head counting, compassion. Why? Because the Bible says because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That's the key. Man, I need, I need to improve in this area because I pass up too many people on any given day. If you and I could look at people who are in the same mess, who are in the same cycles, who are broken down, busted, and disgusted, and just cannot seem to overcome, the people that are as miserable as this beggar are all over Hot Springs and Garland County and beyond. They're everywhere because the majority of the people in our whole world today are lost without the gospel. And that's why we're here, Amen. That's what we've got. And so what we find ourselves is that God help us walk in revival in which we go day by day anticipating, expecting, looking at the eternity in the eyes of people and saying, I've met you today for a specific reason. And the God who orders my steps has brought me to you. Amen. They saw people every day. Every day God gives us is to be a mission to the miserable that we see with compassion and not criticism. Don't judge them before you know them. Let's meet them where they are, in the trenches, 
Get our hands dirty. Get our sleeves dirty. Whatever we got to do. And step into their world and just let them know that, man, I'm here. To, I'm here because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've come under his name. And speaking of his name, look in your text there and look what happens in verse 3. The Bible says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and he said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. This is all the man ever knew, right? He was a beggar. But look what happens. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. In other words, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Get up and walk. And in that scene, what we find right here is that what Peter is happening, the early church shows us another one of the areas of how there was a pattern with people. They saw the people every day But it also teaches us to learn not just to see people daily, but to help them dependently. Peter is telling the truth because he said, I don't have silver and gold, and if I give you money, you're going to stay lame. If I keep giving you what you got, you're going to keep getting what you got. This isn't fixing anything. This isn't helping you. You're going to still stay a beggar. Maybe you need something else. Peter and John didn't have any money because they sold everything. pastor preached on the generosity of the church and how they sold lands and houses and all. That's right. So Peter shows up and he says, ah, pocket's empty, man. I don't have, but I do have something. And what I have is far more valuable than silver and gold. And the powerful thing about the statement is that he emphasized the fact that he says, what I do have, I'm giving it to you. It's just like John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 and in John 3.30 when he makes the statement there, I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist would even say, there is one coming mightier than I who is not worthy, I'm not worthy to even carry his sandals. See, that's the key. That's when when we get that, we get what Peter is saying here. I don't have anything that's going to help you except what I do have is Christ. He is going to be the one to change this. And that's the key. When you and I come to an end of ourselves and our intellect and our smarts and our abilities and our finances, and we realize that in and of ourselves, we don't want man to be praising us. We want to glorify the Father and saying, hey, I've got what you need, and here's what it is, the name of Jesus. The book of Acts uses the name of Jesus like 33 times. Apparently, his name is important. I will tell you today, when we're helping people dependently, It's in our emptiness that we tap into God's supply dependently. Because when Jesus Christ is all you have, opportunity is all you need. And that's what we find here. It's such a valuable thing. Can you imagine the scene? You see somebody. You're out in Hot Springs, Garland County. You're at Walmart. You're at an aisle. You're somewhere at a gas station. You're somewhere doing something like we always do. And you are looking at people intentionally thinking, I should, I should witness to him. I should share Christ with her. And before you know it, you're starting these conversations to see where God's going to take them. You're seeing people. You're engaging them with the gospel. And then when something comes up and you don't know what to do or what do I say, just give them Jesus Christ. If we talk ourselves out of witnessing to people because we think we don't know enough, FYI, we'll never know enough. All the knowledge and the wisdom of heaven belongs to the Father. And if you and I will just show up, he'll show out. He will be the one to do what we can't do. He'll give you words. He'll fill you with his power. He will take over that conversation because he wants them saved more than you do. He loves to save those that are lost. Help people dependently. Come to them in the authority of the name of Jesus and recognize that you are on mission and authority of the name of Jesus. Seriously, like believe that. Remember what Jesus said? Great commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, all the nations, baptize. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to deserve all things I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. Jesus wasn't with them for just a season. He's with us to the end. Literally right now, he's with me in the pulpit. He's with you out there. He's with us where we go, wherever we go today. 
We should know we go to people in the name of Jesus. There's no situation we're going to face that he is not prepared to handle. He will be ready to use us. They saw people every day. They helped people dependently on him and his resource and his power. But there's something else that you don't want to miss. The Bible says here in the the next verse, look at verse 7 in your Bible. He says, then taking him by the right hand, the lame man that's healed, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So what happens here is this man all of a sudden has has experienced the change that only God can do. And what we find in the text is that Peter and John, notice this, the Bible says he entered the temple with them, right? Do you see it? I mean, they're outside the temple out here. He says, in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. He grabs him by the hand. He picks him up. The guy stands up. The Bible says ankle bones are suddenly receiving strength. FYI, Luke was a doctor, and he's writing part of this. So he's describing a medical thing here. His ankle bones are receiving strength. And all of a sudden, he's like, he, he stands up, and we can't even imagine what the scene must look like, right? But we know this. He's walking. Wait a minute. You never walked a day in your life. Don't you have to crawl first? Not when God does it. He's walking, he's leaping, and he's praising God, right? He's all over the place. He's all over the temple. Do you think he knows how to act in the temple? No. But I'm going to tell you what. When the Lord God has taken over your heart and life, and suddenly God has done something, you're not looking for what's politically correct. You're not looking for what makes man happy. All you care about is that my God has saved, he has rescued, he's redeemed, he's healed, and he's raised me up. That means there's testimony that comes out of this scene. What we find is that when this man entered the temple, that's a reminder that you and I want to harvest people like they did dramatically. There should be some, listen, there should be some transformation, y'all. Like there should be nothing boring associated with the life of the resurrected Christ coming from his people. My Christianity and yours and ours should never be a boring message that's lived out as if we don't believe it. It should be so full of life. And they, they were harvesting people dramatically. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 9. He said in Matthew 9, 37, 38, he said, the harvest is truly plentiful. The harvest is ready. He said this, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This, this is a, this, translated, this just simply means God The great evangelist literally is working on people that we haven't met yet. Seriously, let's not overcomplicate this. The Lord of the harvest, what did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. God's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. So the heart of God is to see people brought into the kingdom of God, like us, that have been saved. Amen? Amen. We should want that for anyone else. But what we've got to see, what we've got to grab a hold of, it's got to sink in our heart, is the fact of, God, you are the Lord of the harvest, and there is a people you are preparing because the harvest is ready. Who is it that needs to hear that I haven't told, that I passed up? And you might be thinking the same thing. The Lord of the harvest in this way is ready. And so when we look at it this way, we want to be able to say, man, I was sharing Christ or invited somebody to church. And when you bring them into the temple with you, amen, that's exciting to think of somebody that you were able to minister to that God has worked in their heart, and now they've shown up at church. And there might be some of us here today that you can say, I am here because somebody invited me. I am here because someone reached me at work, and it might be that that's you. Thank God for that obedient follower of Jesus. That came to you at that time. You see, I'm telling y'all, when we make up our minds and stop pointing at the how lovely the crops look in the harvest, but instead start going into the harvest, get in there, we'll bring disciples in the temple, and we'll drive excuses out. Matthew 4 19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? Y'all, we should smell a whole lot more like fish than we do like offices. 
We need to be able to be with the fish, with the people. And just like when you catch a nice fish and you bring that thing in, you're reeling it in, and it gets in the boat, what does it do? It doesn't sit there and look at you and take a selfie, right? No, the fish is jumping around in the boat. And when this lame man was caught, he was walking and leaping and praising God, right? Jumping around. Because God has got a hold of him. And the Lord saved him. Man, I want to be so excited about that, don't you? I don't know. I, just don't, I don't ever want to get over being saved by Jesus because as soon as I do, I don't tell anybody about him. We want to be a people who say, God, you've rescued me. So I want to rescue others. I want to be just like my Lord. I don't want to see the harvest come in. This early church, they, they had a pattern of prayer that was filled with waiting. And that's why God showed up the way he did, because they waited. So they would know and he would know it was his power, not their own. Which led them to see a pattern of people. Every day, they had the same things like you and I have, 2,000 years removed. They had schedules, they had appointments, they had different things, but they saw people every day. They helped people dependent on his authority, his name, his power, and they harvested. Come on, come with me. You can sit with me and my family at church. Come on. Yeah, I, I, yeah we start at this time. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're going to have a small group Bible study in my house. Yeah, come on. Bringing them into the temple with you. Come on, we got some more coming. Got some more. Exactly. But not sitting around soaking and sour but on mission. Because every day there's somebody miserable like that beggar. And that's our divine appointment. That's who God set up for us. They had a way, a pattern of prayer and a pattern with people that y'all, the way the story comes to an end is there was a pattern of praise that went beyond just the lame man. And I want you to notice what he says in the text. The pattern of praise It's right here as the story ends. Look what happens, beginning at verse 9. It says, All the people saw him walking and praising God. All the people, right? And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So, they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. And verse 11 says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, get that for just a moment. You may read that and go, wait a minute, why is he holding on to him? He can walk, right? The implication of the holding on is that God has done something so marvelous, he don't want to let him go, right? He's like, the only thing I know of Jesus is you guys, so I want to stay close to y'all, Amen. So he's just like hanging on, won't let him go. And then the Bible says this. Look in your, look what he says here in verse 12. Or yeah, he was holding on, all the, and the people are utterly astonished toward them in what's called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. And here's what Peter said, like he was preaching at Pentecost, he preaches again this message. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us? as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you whose name was Barabbas. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in his name. His name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. As a result of this, 5,000 people are going to repent and be saved by Jesus. And the church has just grown again. You see, when Peter is saying this, the thing that stands out of the text to you and I, there's many things there, but the main thing is this. The guy that they've always seen at the temple suddenly is walking, leaping, praising God. I mean, I'm serious. You can only imagine the look on their faces, right? We can only imagine what that could have been like when they're going, wait a minute, isn't that, isn't that? They represent the city of Jerusalem. 
They represent those who live in the area that are there to worship in the temple. And maybe some even live in the outer villages. But whatever they are, whoever, wherever they're from, the main thing is, is that Peter takes the chance to preach and to say, guys, the reason why this happened is not because of us. It's because of Jesus Christ. And he takes the time to exalt Jesus. Isn't it amazing when things happen? It's Jesus Christ that does the things that bring about things for the kingdom. It's never us. We are always nothing less than vessels. It's always for the glory of the one who called us and saved us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. It's always Christ. And that's, what it, that's why Christ is glorified in this text. In fact, when we look at this together, you find verse 4. When Peter and John met the lame man, you remember what he said in verse 4? He said, look at us. Remember that? Isn't it funny? In verse 12, Peter says, don't look at us. Why is he saying that? Well, I mean, if you add it up and you put it together, it's kind of like this. It's because we get blessed when we get to help people. But God gets glorified when he awakens people. And you and I may be part of God's big picture. We see people, we help them, we trust in him, and all of a sudden we're bringing them into the temple with us. The church to his heart starts crowing. Yeah, that's great. And all you and I are as his witnesses. That's it. And he's doing all of these things. And the people are awakened because his praise is ringing out in the community. I think it's amazing that in verse 16 of chapter 4, the Bible says that this miracle was done. And it says this, in that passage, he says, they could not deny it. Literally, like, think about that. We don't agree with it, but we can't deny it. I mean, think about the oxymoron. They just couldn't seem to get away from it. Same thing with the blind man in John 9. They kept looking at the man who, whose eyes were open blind. He said, oh, I was blind. Now I see. I don't know how to explain it. I just know I see now. And they kept saying, who opened your eyes? Okay, who? How did he do it? They asked him the question. He's like, did you not listen to me? That's what he basically says in the text of John 9. And it's his way of saying that the reason why you guys are all hearing about this who don't even believe in Messiah Jesus is because whether you believe him or not, he's here and he's working. And that's what we find with Paul in Galatians 1. Whenever Paul had murdered Christians and had persecuted the church, you get to Galatians 1 and he wasn't known by face to the Judean churches. So a lot of them didn't know who he was. All they knew is what they heard. And Paul says in that text there, they heard who I was before. And then he says in the text, specifically, they said, this is he who now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. And all the churches and the crowds of that area of Galatia, they said this. It says, and they glorified God in me. It was Paul's way of saying, even the community knows now that I am changed by Christ. John, uh, the, 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 the blind man, everybody knew. And even here in this scene, everybody in the community knows. This man's different. They're in awe. They're astonished. And that's exactly what this should be like for you and I. I'm telling you, when we began to really think about these things and look at these things, a pattern of praise should be what's going on in each of our lives. Listen, we should be as engaged in a revived relationship with Jesus in such a way that our Christianity is not boring to anybody. Wherever we go, wherever we do, when we walk into a room, when we, when we go take an order, when we go meet with somebody, when we have a meet, whatever's going on in our society, wherever people we're around that are even lost without Christ, it should be that the kingdom of God is here because you represent your heavenly father, and I do too. And we should believe that, not just say it's in the Bible. Well, believe what the Bible says here. And let's be a people who say, you know what? I'm on mission. I, I have Christ within me. And I may not be able to do much, but I'm going to do something for his glory because he's going to mobilize my feet and he is going to open my mouth and he's going to lead my heart, and he's going to counsel me so that I can know what his will is. God's will being done is what it's all about. A pattern of praise is what comes out of the story because the whole community's finding out. And wouldn't it be great if folks start talking about gospel light in that kind of way? They already do to some extent, I'm sure. 
But can you imagine if all of us today make our minds up maybe and say, you know what, I'm going to look at people in this light. I'm going to be on mission in a way that I've never been on before. And I'm going to trust God to meet with me, to put me back in his service in the way that I'm intentional with the gospel and intentional of knowing that I want a revival with him in this kind of way. When we get excited about the gospel, it's going to go out of us in a way that we're going to find ourselves witnessing to the waitress or the waiter today when you go out to eat. For those who do, you may not be able to leave the restaurant without saying, let's make sure that we tell this person about Jesus. I'm telling you, the excitement is there and the praise is there. It's kind of like the beggar. Let's not be so dignified while living sanctified that we forget to testify that it's Jesus Christ who has raised us up and put the pep in our step, right? And the praise of our days, it's him. And so that's why we've got to talk about this. And that's why we want others to know that Jesus Christ is not just Lord behind the doors of the church. He is Lord, ringing out in the community when we leave this place. That's what it's about. I want to tell you that when we become revived in this sense, it's revived in the right way. And it's through Jesus the Christ. Charles Finney made the statement. He said, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Think about that for just a moment. What we've studied, where we find ourselves in these moments. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience with God. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time to pray. A time to really just say, God, I'm soaking in your word. And I want your word to soak in me. A time that you and I can use this time of prayer to call on the Lord. And I want to encourage any one of us to do that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that I have talked about and preached about in this sermon, this text, I want you to know him. I plead with you. Don't try to make it in this life without him. It's a dead end. And it leads to eternal hell, separation from God. Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. He gives eternal life. And if you're here and you say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but you desire to turn from your sin and turn to Christ, come talk to me. Talk with any of our elders, our people here in the church. We would love to introduce you to who Jesus is. He wants to save. But for those of us that know Christ, you're part of the church. You're a part of the church that should look like Acts. How is, how is the prayer, how, how is the pattern with prayer right now in life? Are you finding yourself struggling in the waiting? And you might be giving up. And God's got something that he's planning to do as we wait. But we've got to wait. Do you need to call on the Lord this morning so that doesn't frustrate your prayer life and kind of make it go off to the sideline? Do you have a pattern with people? Do you see them every day? Or are you like me and my failures? One track mind. Got to go do this. Got to get back. And I've got people that God has set in my way. Are you missing those folks? Do you need God to just meet with you this morning to say, Lord, I'm ready to be intentional about that. I'm passing people up. Part of the harvest is who you prepared for me. I may be missing some opportunities. Is there praise coming out of our Christian life like it was in this community? Is there a pattern of praise that others can see the work of God at work? And we're not boring this world to death with our version of Jesus. We're living out what he said, his resurrected life. Today, if you have anything that you want to bring to the Father in prayer, anything that is important and valuable to your heart, then just call on God this morning. This altar, your chairs, wherever you are, the pew, online, call on him. A revival in the church of gospel light is going to begin when there's a revival in us. So let's call on his name. Father, we pray your will is done. Your word is pure. Your word is amazing. 
We pray that you are glorified in our hearts today, that you that there's a new beginning of obedience that starts today in the hearts of anyone here who is willing to say, I'm ready and I'm willing to step into the pattern of these early disciples in a way like I never have. God, meet with us, I pray. Your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray and worship.